Hello, friends, and welcome to Coach Cuts Corner. Streaming bright from Michigan's capital city, this podcast is dedicated to helping you better understand the who, the what, and the why of mental performance, personal growth, and Lansing Stars baseball. Coach Cuts Corner, brought to you by iWatch. In collaboration with Lansing Community College. And now here's your host, Stephen Cutter. Welcome back or welcome to Coach Cuts Podcast. I'm Stephen Cutter and today I'm joined in studio with Bob Every. Bob coached the 2002 Stars softball team to a national championship. Thanks for joining me today, Bob. My pleasure, Steve. Um, uh, I see that you guys are just uh, raking it, man, and the uh, team's going good, so it's nice to see a smile on your yeah, face. For sure. Bob, your name is synonymous in the Lansing area when it comes to sports. What age did you get into sports? Well, my first organized sports was, of course, Little League Baseball and then some backyard football, and then I really started uh, my my sporting career when I was a freshman in high school at Rodney B. Wilson in St. John's. That's where it all started. Okay. And for Little League, did you develop a pretty good love for baseball at that point, or were you just d- still pretty wet behind the ears and not sure what you really liked? Well, I'm like any other kid that was played Little League baseball, probably three-fourths of them. You know, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a Major League Baseball player. Really? I watched okay. baseball, and, of course, you know, that's back when you had the little black-and-white TVs, and uh, uh, it was it was just – I mean, we, we – we just played baseball all day long, and that's, that was what we did in the small town that I came from, which is Maple Rapids. So uh, sports has always been a very big part of my life and will continue to be uh, until I'm gone. And that's changed a little bit today in society. When you drive around, you see a lot more empty fields than you do You know, see, whether it's courts or fields or whatever it might be, that there's less of that now. Well, that's exactly right. Back in, again, when I was a youngster, uh, I mean, I lived in a river. Uh, we went fishing in the morning, and we played ball all afternoon, and then we played uh, our little league games, you know, uh, two or three nights a week when, uh, you know, around 6 o'clock and stuff. So that's all we did was uh, just played around, and, and, and we could do that living in a small town because, you know, there wasn't the fear that you have today of, of just looking over your shoulder to see, you know, what dangers are, are around you all the time. So I grew up on sports, and uh, I grew up uh, – uh, after a certain period of time in a, in a household that just had a mother because my mother and father divorced when I was 10. Okay. And my coaches became my fathers. And I just kind of followed that thing all the way through high school. And then, uh, you know, it's just, you, I kind of figured it all out and got going. Do you have a certain coach that kind of stood out during that time? Well, again, you know, I go back to my Little League coach, Vic Johnson, what is his name? He was a, he was a, really a nice guy, and he really uh, he, he did a wonderful job. I don't know how much baseball experience he had. <laughs> he was one of these fathers that was corralled into right. doing this, and yep. he did the best he could. But when I got into high school, I had the two coaches that were real significant in my life. The first one is Bill Smiley, who was my varsity baseball coach and my varsity football coach and then Doug Jappinga who also was uh, uh, my JV coach and in, uh, in football and so those two guys were synonymous in my life but then I got involved in boxing at a very big level my idea was to uh, make the 68 Olympic boxing team and uh, Wayne Buford was my boxing coach uh, and he those three probably were the biggest influences in my life as far as uh, uh, father figures were concerned in regards to coaching that's that's incredible you know, I mentioned in the opening of the show that you won a national championship here. 
You also did, uh, you were runner up a couple seasons. I think the first season went in 2000 yeah. and then 2001. And you really brought, you know, a national prominence to the softball program. What, and you were working at LCCA at the time too. What is some of your best memories of LCC? Well, I mean, I worked here many years prior to the baseball, uh, the softball program yeah. starting. You know, mm -hmm. that started in, it was approved in 1999, July of 1999. Uh, we assembled uh, for the first time in August with practices. And then our first season was 2000. And in our very first year, in our inaugural year, we played for the national championship. Which was, was that in Phoenix as well? That was in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. The next year, we played for the national championship and got beat in the in the, in the finals. finals. And then yeah. the third year was the charm. We won the national championship. And then the fourth year, we got beat in the national championship. So uh, we did something no other school did in America, right. and that was to play in a national championship four, four years in a row. Four years in a row. Uh, so... Uh, we set the standard and, you know, being a baseball player and uh, my mm -hmm. first love being baseball and stuff. Right. And then having two daughters, I realized that uh, they probably weren't going to box and they probably weren't <laughs> going to play baseball. I did play a lot of fast pitch softball. Mm -hmm. So, I, you know, I just was kind of setting all my ducks in a row of, of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to coach and uh, uh, thank goodness for the board of trustees here at Lansing Community College and the athletic department mm -hmm. that they reinstated uh, softball, softball and baseball. And baseball, yeah. And uh, otherwise you wouldn't be here. Right. <laughs> and uh, you yeah. wouldn't be enjoying the great season you're having. So it was all it was all fun. Once I got into it, my daughter played on, uh, my daughter Jody yep. uh, played on my first two teams. She was a two-time All-American and, uh, you know, very proud to be a part of of coaching your daughter, but as you probably know, maybe a little bit more difficult for you than me because you work with much more numbers than I do. You know, I'm talking 15 to 17, 18 players. Right. Uh, they all become kind of your daughters in a yeah. way, and and you're mm -hmm. you're responsible for them. I mean, you do a lot of recruiting, and I don't yeah. know how many times, Steve, that you've had to sit in a chair and tell a parent that you're going to look after their child. Right. And 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 these these these. Parents are going through some emotional strain because sure. a lot of them are losing their children for the first time. Right. And uh, so, I mean, I sat in my office many times and, and you know, mothers and fathers were, were, were literally crying that their daughters were going to be walking out the door and life for them mm -hmm. was going to change forever. But I always assured them that I'll treat them just like they were my own children and they seem to be happy mm -hmm. with that. Yeah, it's really good. What was the difference between the 2002 team that won it and the other three that didn't? Truthfully, uh, luck. Love that. You know, honestly, we yeah. were good enough. We went in the uh, we went in the second season in the championship round undefeated. Okay. And uh, so we had to get we had to get beat twice, and and we only had to win. The other team had to win one. And ironically, the year that we won it, we had been beaten and had to battle back. Uh, and play a team in the finals that we had to beat twice. So, I mean, it's funny how that works, but it, it all boils down. I mean, there's such a fine line. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's a it's a, a ball that goes foul by three mm. inches that make, can make the difference. That happened in one mm. game. And, uh, you know, but uh, it was, for me, I would say the talent was as good and was capable of winning, but we just didn't get the luck or the break. And mm. and that's what caused, that's, that's how close those games were. That's excellent. You know, we talked about that on another podcast just recently about how with winning, it's not all hard work. You got to have some other, you know, things happen for you or they're going to happen against you, oh, whether it's injuries or, or luck or yeah. anything else. You know, currently the Stars baseball team's on a 
longest college baseball winning streak in the country. And I've had a lot of people ask me about it and mention different things. And I typically say something like, well, it's a lot better than being on the longest losing streak in the country. So I'll, I'll take it. And they're, the, they're asked things like, is there pressure or stuff like that? I'm like, no, it, it's a really good thing. This is what we want. But you were you had some teams that went on some pretty long win streaks too. Do you want to talk about uh, the length of those? Yeah, we, I mean we were on several twenty or more game winning streaks. Okay. Uh, we our longest win streak was thirty six or thirty seven games. Okay. Right. Uh, we went into the national championship uh, uh, World Series thirty five and zero, okay. and uh, we came out. I believe 38, 37 or 38 and two. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's always fun when you get on those. And like I said off mic here, you can't get enough runs on the board for me. I mean, I don't like this <laughs> close games. I mean, you can sit there and watch all the games you want, but, you know, I feel much better when I'm pounding somebody 10 to nothing because I get a chance to relax a little mm-hmm. bit. I know and, and it's not always like that, but uh, that doesn't mean that, you, that, that I don't like it. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, we, we've had some tw- 22 and 0. We were like 27 and 0, 36, 37 and 0. I mean, so we've been on some win streaks too. And uh, those are nice, but oh, it's still challenging. Yeah, because every game you get the same gut feeling as you do uh, if you're playing the first game. You know, I mean, there's nerves are there. And I don't know about you. I mean, I, I, I you seem pretty low keyed to me, and mm-hmm. I'm sure that you're a little bit lo- more low keyed than I am. I was pretty aggressive. Of course, okay. I was reared in, uh, you know, in uh, boxing, yes. which is a very right. aggressive sport. It's different, yeah. And, uh, and I had two daughters. So uh, I had to make this transition from how I usually felt right. over to this where I'm now I'm coaching girls. I'm not boxing. I'm coaching girls. So there has to be a different demeanor and a different approach. And I found mm-hmm. out one thing early mm-hmm. about coaching women's. If you yell at one of them, you yell at all of them. And uh, I said, man, oh, man. And I, and I learned this in, in my crown team travel ball. And, uh, you know, so the girls, quite frankly, about coaching taught me maybe as much as I've ever learned about coaching. I had some other coaches that I was able to pick their brain and, and, and learn from them and, and, mm-hmm. and what they did. But uh, the girls taught me an awful lot. And in return, I think I taught them how to play the game a little bit different. And I always said, listen, if there's no value to a game, What's the sense of playing, you know? So I always made them understand that everything has value. So you have to approach it in the right kind of way in order for you to get the results out of it that you want to get. Yeah, we use a different word. We talk about details, but it's still the same. You know, it's it's, it's what's what's important. And it's very important to pay attention and value things or or pay attention to the details because that kind of stuff is, is what matters. And we talk a lot about you know, what your edges look like or what your grass looks like or anything else that that's winning. I know you're still active in sports, but are you helping coach anywhere at this point? Well, I'm kind of an advisor to the crown team that I had back in the, the, the the mid to late nineties. We had a tremendous travel ball team. And uh, of course the travel ball is a little bit more popular today than back then. But uh, we were, we were really good. And everybody on that team played at the college level. And, uh, it's it, incredible. So and one of my players played at University of Michigan. Another one played at Michigan State University, yeah. Grand Valley, Ferris. I mean, all over. So uh, 
uh, and I've, I've kind of lost my train of thought in the, the, what your question was again. But, you know, are, are you still helping with Crown? Yeah, then? okay. Yeah. Because well, you kind I'm of brought, you brought that back, yeah, right? I, yeah. Well, my daughter was with an organization that they had multiple teams at different ages, and mm-hmm. uh, she didn't really like kind of that regimentation of having to follow a direction, okay. uh, you know, that other teams, she wanted to do her own thing. So, so she got that from you, right? Yeah, well, she maybe, yeah, she's a very independent woman. <laughs> and uh, she went out and got one of my All-American players that played okay. with her in the travel team in, yep. in Lansing Community College, yep. Emily Church, born. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Emily actually worked here when she played softball for me in the public safety department. She was a public nice. safety officer. But so those two teams, those two girls took that team over and are now trying to raise it up to the lofty heights of where we had it. And, you know, quite frankly, it's nice watching them. Uh, so we've come full circle. My daughter is coaching her daughter, just like I coached my daughter. Yeah. And uh, so they're having fun. And, and that's where I'm at now. I'm, I'm following my granddaughter around, and I, that seems to be uh, where I should be right now. And that's probably provides you with some special moments, just seeing that full circle stuff. So that, that's pretty cool. Let me tell you, every time I get out of bed now at my age is a special moment. <laughs> uh, Lansing Sports Hall of Fame. you got the banquet coming up in August 10th, I believe. Yep, that's right. Yeah. Who's going in this year? Oh, well, yeah, she asked me these questions here. You know, we've got well, one of the guys that you may know or may not know. He's a longtime umpire by the name of Brian Smith. Okay. And Brian is very talented. He's uh, worked Olympics. He's worked uh, several times behind the dish at the, the, the National Division One Championships. Nice. Uh, got a guy by the name of Henry Patino, a longtime uh, track guy out of Everett. Uh, we got three three women coming in. Uh, Jen Smith, who played basketball at University of Michigan. Melanie Miller, who's a longtime administrator at Sexton High School. And uh, the other girl is uh, Kristen Hersey, uh, Cleveland Kristen Hersey. Uh, she is now a teacher out at Mason, but she was a, a multi-sport person at the East Lansing High School. And uh, uh, down at... Uh, uh, Olivet, I guess, was, the, was where she went to college. But she played three sports in college. And uh, and then, you know, uh, I think that's, uh, I don't know what we got. We got the 86-87 Sexton State Championship track teams. And then the 1985 uh, Lansing Catholic Central football team. So okay. I, I think those are what we have. I may have missed one there, but. I know being a transplant to the Lansing area, I went to the Hall of Fame banquet last season. And so it was my first time seeing something like that. And I remember thinking when it was all over, I was blown away during it and after. I thought it was incredibly well run. I was somewhat shocked by the number of people that were in the Lansing Center. Mm -hmm. But it was just a really nice event. And I'm super excited to get back to it this year. And hopefully we get a front row table. LCC does again. And... um, you know, excited for August 10th and to be a part of that again. So you, you, you do a heck of a job running that piece of it. You're also tied into the high school all-star softball game. Yeah. Where did, when did that start? Well, actually, it started long before I took it over, but uh, it's. I think this is going to be our 37th or 38th year okay. for the uh, 
for the senior girls high school all-star yeah. tournament. And it just takes in uh, girls from the local area high schools that have graduated. It just graduated. You can't be. Uh, how do you, how, how's the selections made for that? Well, what I do is, is I send out information to all the coaches uh, that uh, are eligible to right. enter a kid. Right. And there's like 43 schools in the Michigan area. And I say, now we're going to have our all-star game on this particular date. And what I'd like for you to do is at the appropriate time, I'd like for you to send me, you know, two, three, four names of people that you think are worthy of being in an all-star game and then letter them uh, or or number them, one through four. And I says, we may use four of them. We may use one of them. I don't know, but but it's an all-star event. But don't just submit their names because they're, uh, excuse me, a senior event. Mm -hmm. So don't just submit their names because they're seniors. We mean, we want to have a, a, and so that's how I do it. And, 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 you know, Basically, that's that's the only way you could do it. I think. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't get out and watch all these kids play in the springtime. It's so shortened. We're so, bringing back the high school all star game for baseball, and that's going to be at Muni this year. Uh, and we're we're super excited about that. I'm not sure why it went away. I'm not. Do you have any insight on that? Well, I think like anything, to do what you do and I do, it takes a lot of energy, and it, and, yeah. and and you don't always have the manpower, or the person power that you want to get it done. So it does wear on people, and and sometimes people just you know they just run amok they just say you know enough is enough is enough but there are things that should never go away because they're so uh pertinent to our community i mean they're so valuable you know it's like the the softball classic the uh, that we're that we're going to have prior to the all-star game uh so these events for kids in high school are important uh you know you know yourself i don't care whether you're uh playing in a backyard game or maybe a college national championship game, the thrill of doing something good is about the same. I mean, yeah. you know what I mean? If I, if I, if I hit a big home run in, in, in a conference game that wins us the game, a hard-fought game, and then I do the same thing in, in a college game, I mean, excuse me, in a World Series game that, that wins us the game, I don't know that my emotion is any greater for your, one or the your other. Your mind doesn't know the difference. No, yep. so, mm-hmm. so it's important for these kids to always have uh, a good learning experience out of their involvement in sports, and we as adults who've played sports owe it to them and they owe it to people uh that they're going to be coaching down the road so you know if you keep that progressive thing rolling then you can always rest assured that you're coming from a good community kids are good people a life is good and uh, you know it's just it's just a thing that you got to do yeah so you're pretty darn famous (laughs) but who's the most famous person that you've met well a dear friend of mine who's no longer with us is muhammad ali uh, I, uh, I've known Muhammad since 1972 and we really connected back in the nineties. Again, uh, I would go down to his farm in Berrien Springs and, uh, I, I brought Muhammad up to, uh, several games. Tom Isle's a good friend of mine. I mm-hmm. brought him up to several games in Michigan state. And, and again, it's all part of promoting your community. That's what right. I do. I mean, I love this place. I've been, I traveled a lot in my boxing days all over this country, some international traveling. And I, found one thing consistent with all my traveling was that I couldn't wait to get back home. And, and the reason I couldn't wait to get back home is because this is my home. You know, I love this place. So whatever I can do to, to uh, do my fair share of promoting this area, I'm going to continue to do it. And that, that's not going to change because maybe I'm not coaching from day to day anymore like I used to be. But uh, I'll still, uh, you know, like I'm meeting uh, uh, a friend of mine uh, from the uh, Michigan State uh, Hall of Fame, uh, Matt Larson, 
uh, media relations guy. I'm, I'm meeting Matt next week, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about exchange ideas about Hall of Fames. You know, they have the, the Spartan Athletic Hall of Fame, and we have the, the Greater Lansing Area Sports Hall of Fame. Just just getting together with people and exchanging ideas and, and trying to promote your community. That's what I'm into. Yep. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Bob. It's been great. I appreciate our relationship, and I always enjoy talking to you and having you around. So, thank you. Well, uh, thank you for asking me. You know, we got to get that one frosty. You owe me a frosty for uh, for setting up Muni for you. And and, yep, uh, yep. and I tell you what, I I'm so proud of you, and I'm I, I'm so proud of this school. I, I love this school. I spent 38 no, years here, and it's a great place to be. And I, I hope that uh, luck and good fortune continues to follow you because this school is what you need and and you need this school because it's a it's a great place to be it's a great place to raise your family and thanks for having me and uh, i look forward to watching you win the whole thing Coach Cuts Corner is recorded live in the WLNZ studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Dedalian Lowry. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please share it and follow us on all the platforms of social media. You can find more about our program at lccstars.com. And donations to our baseball program can be made at the same site. See you next time. Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The Lansing Community College Massage Clinic is open to the public and provides an opportunity for the students of the massage program to gain valuable client experience. Relaxation massages and therapeutic massages are both available at a nominal fee. Visit lcc.edu massage for more information. This is the story of a very special woman. Just a few knew about her superpowers. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources at aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. The Lansing Community College Foundation provides scholarships that make education possible, change students' lives, and uplift our community. Students may apply for scholarships November 1st through January 31st. Learn more at lcc.edu slash scholarships. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, a podcast and radio program presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. Most any contemporary musical style can trace its roots back to the blues. Time Signatures explores the blues and its musical connections with captivating interviews, lively discussions, and news from the world of the blues. Now, here he is, your
your host, Jim Irvin. And thank you very much, Parker. We are in studio today. Time Signatures, I'm your host, Jim Irvin, along with my trusty friend and uh, boon companion, Dalian Lowry. The guy that does the moral support. <laughs> moral support and pushing the buttons, making sure everything comes together, right? That's exactly it. That's <laughs> what I do. And we are so happy uh, to be joined once again by Mike Scorey and Jim Alfredson. We're glad to have you back, guys. Thanks for having us back. We haven't decided when we're going to air these. Like we said, you know, we just number them as we go along. It's kind of nice because you can just drop one in here and drop one so like, in there. And... Like writing a set list, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I've got to ask Jim, what is going through your brain when you're hearing the theme song roll? I'm glad you asked that question. Because I'm actually. looking at you, the, the look on your face. I'm like, what's going through that man's brain right now? What's funny is, I'm going to get musical here for a second. Okay. What's funny is, so we go to the five chord, ding, and then the four chord uh, was a minor four. Did you notice that? Mm-hmm. Like, did I write it that way? I guess I must have. Okay, so we should clarify that you're the one on the keys there. Yeah, and yes. I, co- I co-wrote that with Freddie. I must have at some point. Now, it was is probably it just a standard? Is it is it possibly an edit in the song? No, no, just don't remember playing it that way. But yeah, it makes oh, sense. Oh, you don't remember playing it that way. But I, we, we, I must have. Well, and it, it sounds it really cool. It creates an extra tension. Yeah, it's really cool. And you definitely had that questioning look on your face as I'm watching. Like I'm looking over at you and I'm going, what is he thinking I'm about? Thinking, I'm thinking, and wow. And I knew you were you were listening to it going, what, I, what's going on there? I'm thinking, wow, when I wrote that, let's see, 20 years ago, I was hipper than I thought I was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you, you know, were. What's, what's cool, though, is I watched you watch both of you while that was playing and you're both kind of like, kind of grooving and jamming. And I remember watching uh, James when yeah. that was playing the first time yeah. our, for our first episode. And he was playing the bass. He was yeah. playing the yeah. air bass while this was going. He's like, it, 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 it. Just, just jamming away and having a good time at it. I haven't heard that song probably in 15 years. So. Well, the ironic thing is Dedalian asked me to come up with a, a, an intro song. And I, I pulled out my Root Doctor playlist. I have all six of the albums mm-hmm. um, on CD, of course. And then the one is the yellow album that uh, was given to me on a flash drive yep. by Marge because you can't find it no. anywhere. Now, what's funny is the yellow one was recorded live. They opened for, it was somebody pretty big, and they happened to record the set. It was just a two-track recording from the mixer board. Right? Wow. It's pretty good. They took it to Glenn Brown, the genius that he is. Yeah, yeah. He did his magic on it, and it sounds sounds good. And then there were years and years that went by and they didn't record anything. And when I got in the band, I've always been into recording as well mm-hmm. and apprenticed under Glenn Brown and kind of tried to learn his his genius. And uh, I kept pushing the guys like, let's record some, let's write some original songs, let's record some original songs instead of just doing covers all the time. And, you know, they were like, yeah, okay. And then it wasn't until Greg Nagy got into the band that I had kind of a unified front and the two of us were like, this is what we're going to do. Okay. And this is how we're going to do it. And we just kind of like almost forced them into it. And I think the lyrics were all written by Freddie. Freddie's a great lyricist. Oh. Yeah. He wrote a lot of the lyrics on all that stuff. And I wrote a lot of the music, Greg and I. And James had a good part of it, too. And it was, it was a collaborative effort, but it was really fun to get them finally thinking in terms of writing original material. That's very cool. Well, I wanted to talk about the creative process for your music because both of you write music, you play music. Let's let's start with Jim. Talk about your creative process. What what do you go through when you start putting music together? For me, it's all about rhythm. So I get inspired by 
either a drum groove or a ostinato figure of some kind, bass line or something like that. And that usually pushes me into a, a certain mood or a certain direction. My biggest hang up for years and years was melody because I, I absolutely love melody. And as someone who studied jazz, I mean, jazz is all about melody. People say it's about improvisation, but improvisation, the best improvisation to me is, is improvising melodies, not just blowing a bunch of notes all over the place. You want something that you can sing along to, you know? So I worked really hard on, on trying to become better at writing melodies, and it's been a challenge, and I'm still working on it. But yeah, for me, the, the initial inspiration is usually something rhythmic. I started actually playing keys when I was little, but then I got into drums for a while, and I played drums for okay. quite some time. So is it the uh, the rhythm and the melody that comes first for you, or do you work with lyrics and then work on the melodies? I've done both. Okay. Sometimes there's something specific I want to talk about, so I'll write some stanzas out, and a lot of times they change once the music's written. You don't want to just shoehorn it in. You want to make it flow. And sure. you know, as someone that loves the blues but also loves different types of music, I'm also looking for a little trick that I can put in, like we were talking about the minor four chord in the intro tune. Or on one of Greg Nagy's records, we did a blues, but we did it in 6-4 instead of 4-4. Four, four. Okay. It's a shuffle. So it's like going one... Extra two beats per bar. Very cool. Mm. And it flows great. And it, it and then we I think we put some five in it just to be jerks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> put a 5-4 measure in. But stuff like that, I'm always looking for like a little trick or a little something to bend your ear. Mike, I see you nodding your head over there. Yeah, Let's talk I, about your process. I, I mean, I I might start with a, a vague rhythm, like a type, you know, shuffle, straight beat. Then I go for the lyrics. I have to f- figure out how to tell a story about something. And usually I go back in my past and I go, oh, God, remember how crappy I felt that day. I can't really write a story about that, how it really happened. So I write a fake story that tries to find that emotion. Mm-hmm. So then usually the first draft of writing lyrics is like three songs with the words, you know, and then I should try to find a melody and fit them into the, into the measures. Then well, too many words, too many words, too many words. So that's the way I like to do it. What about creative blocks? How do you guys deal with those? Um, I just go do something else for a while. And sometimes I'll actually not listen to music for weeks, which is hard to do. But it clears the palate, and then you can start fresh and, and and try to whatever wherever it comes from that inspiration that cosmic radio wave or whatever it is you can let that through again. I think it gets blocked by too much consumption. Mike, um, I work better when I have pressure. Like if I have a month to get something done, it's you know it's three days before it's due to do it. <laughs> and the same with writing a song. Oh, I got to get the, oh, I got to get that done. Boom, and then I just have to bolt into it 100% until it's done. That's I I do that. It's not the best way to do things, but I do it in almost everything I do. See, this guy reminds me when I when I was in my writing class, I was one of those people that always would write the the eight-page paper in the last 24 hours because I thrive on pressure. Mm. Pressure. And yes. Then, it's like I wake up. Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that adrenaline, the vibe yes. that that deadline is looming over you, yes. that it pushes some creativity out. At the same time, I thought it was interesting that you said that you stop listening to music. Anything creative I do, 
uh, very often I've found a great way to start the creative juices is just to allow silence. Mm -hmm. And I will just let things be quiet all around me. And I just thought it was interesting that you would do the same with music. And I can relate to both both concepts, both ideas, and both make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely ways to get creativity going. I I, I do the same thing sometimes too. Where like you wait until that deadline wait until comes the last out, minute, and you're like, oh, <laughs> I guess I should work on this now. I, I think that also might be human nature. I'm just guessing. It, but here. I think <laughs> the funny thing is, that my eldest daughter, she's at Michigan State now. She's a French horn uh, major. She's incredible. And during the pandemic, uh, with the online schooling, she was in an AP psychology class. And they were doing a little section on ADHD. And the teacher put up the, the markers of people, you know, the, yeah, you just raised your hand. <laughs> and it was like nine different <laughs> markers that like, you know, you might have ADHD if Squirrel. you do this, if you do this, if you do this. And, and she came downstairs, she was crying. She's like, mom, dad, I think I have ADHD. I think I finally figured out what's wrong with me. We're like, well, there's nothing wrong with you per se, but you just okay. have to learn to use it. Yeah. So she, yeah. she, uh, she figured that out and then. She's at you know Michigan State now, like I said, and she's on a very low grade medication that she only takes when she really needs to focus. Like I need to study for this exam. Yeah. I need mm -hmm. to write this paper. I'll take this little bit of medication and it helps her focus. She said, Dad, it's like it's like all the different voices in my head. Not, you know, No, I know exactly you what you're I mean. Like about. all the different thought processes, all the different threads get turned off and I can actually just focus on this one thing. My like, son oh, does, wow, what's mm. that like? And she goes, Dad, I think you might have ADHD too. <laughs> Did you think? My, my, son <laughs> described, my son described it as a thousand TVs. Yeah. Huh. And that's, uh, he also has ADHD. She yeah. says, she said that she did read a study that 90% of musicians have ADHD. Well, I guess like, well, that's it makes good sense. news for me because I am musically inclined, you know. And creative people in general. <laughs> so, so not just musicians, but artists and poets and painters and it's that, just part of the process i think that's why i like fixing stuff yeah because it's just i got to focus on yeah mm -hmm. so then but but my routine is still my personality is the same i'll be sitting oh i got things it's been here three weeks still don't know why it's not working <laughs> still don't know why. i gotta get into it and then i'll have to bury into it who was it that was just working like on the amp and the you found that the speaker was dead was it that you? was mine yeah yeah, he had a he had an amplifier and, and ended up it was just the speaker, the amp had fallen on the floor. The speaker cracked in half. Yeah, there you go. The oh. the the, the, my, or the, the uh, magnet. The magnet. Oh, but, fell off. Yeah, yeah. But the thing about the mic, the mic we mentioned on the last podcast that I was fixing a microphone. Here's the problem with that is that I'll get so hyper focused on that that I can't do anything else. So when I started that microphone repair, it was about two o'clock in the afternoon. Worked on it for a while, took a break, did some stuff with the kids, you know, picked daughters up and blah, blah, blah. Came back to it about five o'clock, came upstairs, had dinner at six, came back down and started working on it again. Got stuck, couldn't figure out what was wrong with it. Decided to go do something else for about two hours. Meanwhile, it's in my brain going mm -hmm. around and around and around and around. I'm looking, I'm like seeing schematics in my head. Like, why isn't this working? Where's this voltage going? What, blah, 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 blah. Suddenly... It's almost like the same inspiration you get when you write a song. All of a sudden, this light goes off. You're like, right. I should check this. I go and check it. That's the problem. To me, that's the same as writing music, though, because you'll work on it. And you'll sure. get to a point where you're stuck, and you're like, I don't know how to go where I'm supposed to go this next verse or this next chord or something like that. And so you just let it sit for a while, let your brain chew on it in the background, and yeah. then all of a sudden, oh, I should do this. And sometimes it takes hours. Sometimes it takes days. Sometimes it takes weeks. Certainly. You, know, you have to let it resolve, I don't know if you've, you've probably had this one, where you, you write something, 
you write some lyrics. For me, it's like the lyrics, and they don't, you know they don't fit. Yeah. You know it. Yet you're so, man, I was kind of cool the way I said that. I like the words. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, just, you're sold on it. So yeah. you like force, kind of, I don't know if I force the melody and force the words close here. You figure out a way to try to cheat it. But in the end, you go, you know, that I knew that line was a problem. I knew yeah. it was a problem. And, and you have to get rid of it, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, or, or the, really, the line or, or move it out. Yeah, move yeah. It, yeah, or just berate a different line that works yep. or something. You just got to get rid of it. It ain't going to work. Or to save it and use it for another song. I guess it was that good. But. The worst part, though, is when you record it on a record thinking I, I solved it. Then you come and hear it a couple oh. years later and you're like, oh. Why didn't I oh. fix that? That's terrible. <laughs> My wife is a, a fine artist. She's a painter. And she said in college they taught her that a painting is never finished. It's just abandoned. It's wow. a good, that's a good And one. I think music is the same way. It's like at some point you just have to say, okay, I got to move on and do something else. Because you could just sit there. And especially nowadays with the technology that we have, you know, with computers and, and recording at home and stuff. You could oh, sit you, there. Yeah. For 20 yeah. years and work on one song and just keep tweaking it, keep tweaking it. Do, oh, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try Do either you consider yourself a perfectionist? Uh, I think if I let myself Mike's, go Mike's, down Mike's that path. Look in his face. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Jim. If I let myself go down that pathway, yes. I've learned how not to do yeah. that. Because this is not an intervention, by the way. No, no, no. It's, it, again, it's <laughs> no, but it's, it's an interesting thing from a musician's perspective, especially with what you just said. Yeah. You know, a painting is just abandoned. Yeah. And a, a song's got to be the same way. There's it a is. point where you have to accept this is where it's at. Yeah. This is okay. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. Mike. <laughs> I, I am on certain things. Certain things just... And they're usually ba- related with the band. Like, especially if I'm singing it, I like a, I like it a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, that's a hard thing. It's hard for me to do it. I mean, I try to do it. I mean, that's why I, I, I played a lot, a lot, because I would try to do it. But then when I'm the singer and then you don't want to be rude, well, right. sometimes you do, but she goes, well, why did you change the beat there? Why, why'd you change it? We changed the chord, you don't change the beat. That's when I get. I completely get that. Yeah, I do. I understand that where you're used to hearing it a certain way. It's just like, you know, when I when I hear something and I go to a concert and somebody just changes it and you go, what? What are you doing? Well, it's because it's live. Yeah, they were improvising. But sure. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's, when, if, if this guy's just doing a solo, I don't care what they do. You know, <laughs> just, well, I would when I have when I have to bounce from it. That's that's when I like it I, predictable. I, I'm not a musician myself, but I would imagine from a musician's perspective, in order to keep that song fresh for you, you have to kind of change it up a little bit when you're playing it so many times, yes? Yes and no. I understand where the fans are coming from. If you have a song that the fans adore mm-hmm. and it's like your one-hit wonder or whatever it is, you know, you kind of have to play it the way they want to hear it. Like, let's let's talk about Larry McRae and Soul Shine. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, he's yeah. been playing that song for oh, yeah. 30 some years mm-hmm. and he plays it the same way every time. I mean, he plays something different solo wise, but sure. the form, the feel is the same. And that's what people want to hear. I don't think you, for those type of things, you don't want to change it up too much. When Fred would do God bless the child, yes. it better be just like that. Yeah. 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 And the change up might come at the end of the song because he goes into a, not a scat, but he goes into some ad lib. Yeah. So that might change. And that's plenty of change. I think sometimes we think to change it takes so much and just a little bit of a thing. It's, it's something new, something different. Sure. Or he might let the guys noodle at the beginning of the song. But when it got to the part, it's where it had to be. Yep. Guys, I want to shift gears just a little bit here. Talk about 
some of the musicians that you've shared the stage with, some of the, the better known musicians over the last 20, 30, 40 years. Jim, I'll start with you because I can see you're thinking over there. Yeah, I'm trying to, rem- I have such a horrible memory. Um, but some of the bands that Rude Doctor opened up for back in the day, we opened up for Leonard Skinnerd, which was kind of fun. You wouldn't think a blues band would work with a Leonard Skinnerd crowd. They did actually love us. It was a good crowd. And the keyboard player for Leonard Skinner was the original guy, Billy Payne. He, oh, wow. he was amazing. He was amazing. I just st- I sat backstage and watched him. His entire rig was white. He had a white B3 and white grand piano, white wow. synthesizer. It was great. It was awesome. And then we opened up for Cool in the Gang one year, which was mind-blowing. And then uh, I got to hang out with uh, Greg Allman and the Derek Trucks and the Allman Brothers because James Williams from – Doctor, his brother played with the yes, older brothers, yes. brother Lamar. So every time they would come to town, he would get us tickets. And, and one time we went backstage and hung out. And Greg Allman was a trip. He, you know, I introduced myself, told him I played B3. And he's like, that's cool, kid. And then he just walked off. <laughs> <laughs> like, cool, thanks. But, get away, kid. You're bothering yeah. me. <laughs> um, but once I got on the road, I played with a bunch of different people. Uh, Taj Mahal one time on the Blues Cruise, which was a total treat. He's one of my favorites of all time. Got to play with the... Holmes Brothers on that cruise, Joan Osborne. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Uh, in the jazz world, I played with a lot of really cool heavies like David Sanborn, Branford Marsalis. I mean, you know, just through Michigan State when I was there, we got to play with a lot of those guys. And uh, the trumpet player, uh, uh, Brecker Brothers, uh, Michael, and uh, what's his brother's name? He's still around. Randy Brecker. Say, point, point, Randy Brecker. I have a good story about that. And so he he came to the Brevard Music Center. I would I was teaching there for a couple summers, thanks to Michael Dees, the professor of jazz trombone at Michigan State. He uh, texted me. He's like, "Hey, Randy's here, and I, I want I want you to meet him." And for one reason or another, I thought I'd be a smart ass, and I <laughs> went out to meet him. And Michael's like, "Hey." You know, Randy, this is Jim Elferson, Jim Elferson, Randy Brecker. I'm like, Randy Brecker. I'm like, man, I've never heard of you. (laughs) And he got this look on his face like, who the heck is this guy? And I said, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm a really big fan. I love your work. And I don't think he took it as a joke, though. He was like kind of stoic. I think that'd be the time for get away, kid. You're bothering me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Very cool. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. The, The thing I love about playing with that caliber of musician is normally I'm not, I'm not, nervous about it I just like I do what I do and they'll either like it or they won't so I don't really worry about it um, but the nice thing about playing with a caliber of that musician is that it forces you to up your own ability sure like instantly and that's the best thing about music is is you want to you want to get to the point where you can you know your instrument enough that you can step outside of your comfort zone a little bit and still be okay. Or as Herbie Hancock would say, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. There you go. And push things a little bit. That's what I love about it. Mike, how about you, man? You know, the only time I really did much of that was in the probably the late 70s. Okay. This was well before Root Doctor. But we had a band. It was called Blue Money. And, you know, of course, we thought we were going to the top. And we did, we did a couple of albums, records. We didn't, we didn't have CDs then. Right. And after the second one, we got <laughs> we had some kind of manager, and he finagled us to be the warm up act 
for we went to Van Andel a couple times and all the big the big theater downtown Flint places like that. We were always the warm up band for no pay. So <laughs> then usually we would just sit around and go, man, we're better than those guys. Man, we're better than those guys. It was a, it was just a completely different thing. Yeah, but it was still fun. It was exciting. We didn't want anybody to see that we had no road crew, so we had changes of clothes. We'd wear all black, take our equipment out to the stage, <laughs> and run back off and put on bright colored. We'd play and then hopefully get cheered. We come and then put our black clothes back on and then run back out and get our equipment. Guys, <laughs> tell me about your favorite performance of all time. Go back in your mind real quick. Oh, boy. I, I'm getting a furrowed brow from Mike over I, here. I can barely remember him. <laughs> there wasn't something that just jumped right out at you? Oh, yeah, there, there is. And again, it was a different band. I played with a singer named Lisa Smith. And we had a four-piece band, and I was playing left-hand bass. And we did our thing. You know, we were pretty, the band was good. Mm-hmm. So one year, we were going to be on the Jazz Fest, and she wanted to learn Spain. Ooh, boy. I went, yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know. So we learned it. I learned it the best I could from the real book and practice and I would just sit there for like hours and put the metronome or the record and we had a rehearsal because we were worried about it just oh, just awful it's a train wreck <laughs> just a train wreck Ed's, Ed was playing guitar Ed Smith was playing guitar so luckily she goes well you guys will have to just get your heads together because we're doing it wow oh okay and it and it worked and we never did song again Oh I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to try to do that Latin bass here, you know, with the, uh, it worked somehow it just worked. must've been the excitement of the big PA or something, or wow. we were scared and we did it and it worked and we were so happy. I was so happy. We are never going to play that song again. So. Ma'am. And Jim, how about you? That's a, that's a really tough one. I think one of the most fun gigs I've ever had was when I first joined Janima Magnus and we played the Portland blues festival in Portland, Oregon. And the way they had it set up, they had a stage on one end and then a stage on the other. And in between was probably about 60 to 70,000 people. Wow. It was huge. And so they'd have an act on one stage and then everybody literally would just turn around and face the other stage and they'd have an act on that stage and then they'd turn around. and So kind of like Blues Fest, but a lot closer. Kind of like Blues Fest, but a huge. I mean, yeah. just absolutely enormous. Wow. And... Before we went on, I was I was new to all you know this. I was new to playing in front of that many people. Before we went on, Janima said to me, "Okay, you're not playing for the person in front of you. You're playing for those people way back there. So bring it I'm perspective." Like, yeah. I'm like, "Okay," and uh, it's on YouTube. And sometimes I I go back and I watch that. And I'm like, "Dang, we we were killing that that day. We really socked it to them." It was fun. I love her uh, her philosophy and approach there. That, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot from her. You know, I, I, the, my time in Root Doctor prepared me for that gig really well because I learned how to play behind a singer due to playing with Freddie. That's a um, whole different thing. It's a whole different ball game. And, and the, the keyboard player that she had, so she had a guy for a long time and then he left the band and then she had an interim guy. And he was young and green and really good, but he had no experience playing behind a singer. And so she had hired me to play, before she had gotten that interim guy, she had hired me to play a couple gigs in the Midwest. And then in the meantime, she had gotten him. And she honored those gigs, which was really nice of her to do, that she had booked with me. And so she had been on the road with this kid for a couple months. And then she comes to the Midwest, and I play these four gigs with her. 
And uh, after those four gigs, they called me up. They're like, uh, do you want this, want the gig? And I said, what happened to so-and-so? They're like, oh, he's great, but he just doesn't know how to play behind the singer. He oh. just hadn't had that experience. He was stepping all over, and he was soloing for too long. He was playing too loud. And I'm like, thank you, Freddie, because you taught me how not to do that. Absolutely. Fred, he was a, he was a good teacher. He would tell you. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, sometimes he, we, we would we'd be playing, and, and he might pull something out. Oh, I want to play this. I want to play this. Okay, great. I, I knew it because I just keep learning songs. And then sometimes the band would go in, and there's always a, it's always going to be a wrong chord. But I would telegraph that. I'd go, oh, oh. But one day he just let me have it. Mike, they, they don't know. You told them. You told them. You must get a big sign. Just play two notes or play a note till the bad part ends. They don't know. Smile yeah, through it. Don't tell the audience. The worse it, it is, mm-hmm. the more it's I went, okay, that's it. I'll do it. There's another guy. The first time I really played with a singer, this is so long in the past. His name is Danny Hernandez. Oh, yeah. And that was uh, that was the first, one of the, not the first band, but the first band that worked all the time, every minute of every day. And he was the singer and the bass player, and you had to, you had to watch him mm-hmm. all the time. Wow. And he would not, you don't know what he was going to do. Because, again, he had so many songs rattling around, plus he had the power of the bass, you know. So he might, if things weren't going great at, at the bar, the last set might be just a minute and a half of 30 songs. Just, okay, yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, I got it. Okay. <laughs> he, was, he was good. He would, he would do whatever it took to entertain the crowd. He would just do it. Absolutely. He was a good guy to work with. Well, I, I want to thank both of you for being here for this episode. We are hopefully going to be able to get another one in. So until next time, we appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. And we will see you on the next edition of Time Signatures. This has been Time Signatures with Jim Irvin, presented by the Capital Area Blues Society in Lansing, Michigan. For more information on cabs, visit capitalareablues.org. You can find this episode and past episodes at lccconnect.org. The Time Signatures theme song, Michigan Roads, is used by permission and was written by Root Doctor, featuring Freddie Cunningham. Until next time, keep on keeping the blues alive. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Lansing Community College Performing Arts features several events and presentations throughout the year. Find more information by visiting lcc.edu slash showinfo. What are all the things you witness online in a day? Cats playing piano, selfies on your feed, your friend's picture being turned into a nasty meme that's been shared 50 times, 51, 52. When someone's being bullied online, it's hard to know what to do. Now you can speak up with the witness emoji. It looks like an eye in a speech bubble, and it's in the symbol section near the clocks in your phone. You'll let the world know it isn't cool, and you'll let your friend know you care. Learn more at eyewitnessbullying.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Michigan residents age 25 or older may qualify for Michigan Reconnect, a program providing free or reduced tuition to students who have not earned a prior college degree. Reconnect students are responsible for books and fees. Visit lcc.edu reconnect for more information. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision.
welcome to Community Convos, a podcast and radio program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in Lansing and around mid-Michigan. And this is Dedalian back on the combo. And with me on the phone is Grand Ledge Area District Library Marketing Coordinator, Stephanie Black. How are you doing today, Stephanie? I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I am doing well, and I am just so thrilled to be able to chat with you about this because I saw this. I stumbled on it, actually. This is called the Lego Creator Challenge. Am I getting that right? Yep, uh, Lego Creators Challenge. So we're asking for kids to bring in their Lego creations to the library during the month of August to be able to be in our People's Choice Awards in September. And that's why I got excited because I loved Legos. And then I saw it was for kids and I was like, no, that's not that. It can't be. <laughs> what, what, what do we what do we consider a kid? What's the age group here? Um, so it's for kids up to age 18. So I know like teenagers don't want to be considered kids, but um, any individual up to the age of 18 is what we're accepting. Well, I am well over 18 and I still wish I could be considered a kid, especially <laughs> when it comes to this kind of stuff. Have you done these before? Yes, we've been doing the Lego Creator Challenge for a few years now. Um, We usually do it in the fall, just right after our summer reading program that just concluded on the 31st. Um, But it's a way for kids to be able to, like, expand their imaginations, build something really cool and creative, bring it into the library, and have it be on display for the community to see. Very good. And uh, how exactly do they get themselves entered? Um, They can come to the library. We have a clip there. Um, or they can just bring in their creations, bring it to the front desk, and one of the front desk staff will be able to assist them with uh, getting their information registered. It's really simple. We do have some rules, though. Uh, it must fit into a one-foot-by-one-foot one space, so usually you can get those like green Lego like placers that you can put the bricks on top of. Mm-hmm. It cannot be from a kit, so it needs to be just regular Lego bricks created for something um if it's bricks from a kit it is fine but it just can't be the the actual kit itself so no bringing in you know like the death star or something um and we do ask that they're original creations that again they're not you know a building that's already been built or something you know if mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah it does <laughs> it does and okay so uh key notes there uh talking about original and fits within a foot by a foot uh, yep. What about height? Uh, we don't necessarily have a height restriction. However, it is going into the window that's above our DVD movie shelves. So just for you know safety reasons, we're asking that it's not like a massive, tall skyscraper just in case it's <laughs> maybe not secured 100% and it falls. It won't be, you know, falling in crushing somebody or something. <laughs> now, are the kids using their own Legos here? Yes, they can use their own Legos. We have Legos at the library, but we aren't like loaning them out to uh, to create something. Now, however, in the fall, we do have an event called Lego Palooza, and the dates for that will be released, I believe it's in September. Mm-hmm. But uh, at that specific event, we do bring out all of our tubs and totes of Legos, and we bring them out for the kids and say, have at it. Build whatever you want. And um, after the event, we will often display those creations as well. And chances are, since it's going to be in September, we'll probably display those 
possibly in October or maybe even in the upstairs room. Okay. Okay. So that's Lego Palooza, and that is in September. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, going back to uh, Lego Creators Challenge, do the kids get to win some prizes here? Is there anything involved with that? Yep. Um, there's a People's Choice Award that we have, and oftentimes at the end we'll have a little prize bag for um, participants. Um, it's just something small, uh, and then we'll usually have like a, a bigger prize for the People's Choice winner. And I believe this year we have a donated Minecraft Lego set and possibly another donated Lego set that's a little bit more general. It's not like a branded thing. So you said you've done this in years past. I would imagine you've you've seen some pretty cool creations, yes? Oh, yeah, yeah. Every time we have somebody bring something in, we're like, oh, my gosh, this is so clever and creative. Like, we've had kids build a veterinarian clinic. We've had kids build, like, a little jungle temple cool thing with, like, a whole bunch of jungle animals, like, swinging around it. We've had, like, desert scenes and really cool houses. Like, the kids are so creative when they bring when they bring their things in. That's awesome. And, you know, the funny thing is, is like Legos for me growing up uh, was always just like one of my most favorite things. So when I saw this, I was like, I have got to give her a call and talk to her about this. (laughs) And it just makes me wish I was a kid again. But I still because I still play with Legos to this day. Well, I mean, it's good for everybody. It helps build imagination and using your hands is great tactile work to keep that up with like your muscles and your hands and stuff. So, I mean, even the box on Legos says like zero to 99. So Legos are for everybody. They don't really <laughs> have go. an age. We just have an age for our, our thing because we only have so much room in the library. Grand Ledge Area District Library, you guys are always doing something cool. Uh, so again, this is the Lego Creators Challenge the very last day that somebody could bring this in is uh, the last of, day of August, I assume? That is correct. Okay. And then coming up in uh, September, Lego Palooza. If somebody wanted to get the info on uh, both of these events, what's the best way to do that? If you go to our website, which is gladl.org, G-L-A-D-L.org, if you click on the events calendar, we have all of our events up there right now, and we actually just released our fall schedule lineup on August 1st as well. So that actually is all available at this point. You can go in there right now. Some of our events are registration required. They do fill up pretty fast for the ones that we have limited space for. So it's good to do it early. There will be a link on our website to go to our event brochure for the fall and they can see everything on there as well, along with the dates and times. So there you go. If you are a Lego fan like me, it is uh, taking place at the Grand Ledge Area District Library, the Lego Creator Challenge, of course, in August, and then you got Lego Palooza coming up in September. Stephanie Black, Marketing Coordinator for the Grand Ledge Area District Library, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and joining me here on The Combo. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Community Combos, a program from LCC Connect with conversations about what's happening in our community. To listen to this episode on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org or find us on your favorite podcast platform. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Community Combos, email us lcc-connect at lcc.edu. And thanks for joining the combo.
This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ Studio, located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.